I'm Austin. I'm Mike. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And today we're doing something a little different. It is our holiday special. Yeah, we have a couple of topics today that are, one of them we're kind of following up on something, but one, there's basically been something that I've been wanting to talk to you about for a couple of weeks, just because I'm interested in something you're up to. And I figured why not have this conversation in front of the test driver's audience as well. So you have a, you get some time to look forward. If you follow Austin on social media, you might know what it is that I want to talk to him about. But we'll get to that in a little bit later on. Because as is usual, there's been a few little things that uh, I want to touch on with you. I guess the only real product release, I think, that's happened since we last recorded that is really capturing the world by storm is AirPods Max. Woo! So... We don't we don't have them yet. By the time this comes out, I don't even think I will because they're kind of like mid to late of next week um, that they'll start right. arriving with people. What's your take? Five hundred fifty dollars is a statement. Uh, that's yeah. Uh, it's clear that when you're talking about a pair of headphones that are that expensive, they better be good, right? And look, I mean. I don't mind the AirPods Max name. I mean, it's clear that Beats was never going to be the way forward. I mean, this is sort of, I mean, I was reading the other day. I mean, the AirPods business itself is just, it's like bigger than like tons of like Fortune 500 companies, right? I mean, like it is such a huge thing and it makes sense for Apple to push the limits of the high end and they've got some interesting stuff on here. I'm not thrilled with the way they look, but I think they look fine. I mean, it's their headphones. I think they look cool. They, 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 they make a statement and they make the kind of statement like with any piece of new Apple technology where I wouldn't want to be seen in public with it for a little bit. Like I was that way about <laughs> AirPods. I was that way when I got my first iPhone. Like, you know, you kind of like you don't want to draw attention to yourself, you know. And right. so like maybe give it a few months time and I might be willing to wear them in public. But honestly, this is a product that I could imagine not wanting to use outside because... Um, mm-hmm. it, I imagine the noise cancellation or even just the general isolation would be at a level that I would deem a little unsafe for like walking out and about in the streets, yeah. you know? Well, it's I, I totally agree. I mean, that's one of the things. So I actually these days really rarely use any kind of over-ear headphones, right? So I usually use a couple of the, the Bluetooth buds. So whether it's the Galaxy Beans or the AirPods Pro based on what device I'm using. And anytime I'm doing like a podcast recording or editing or anything that's I need sort of a little bit more of a quote-unquote professional look, aka I want to plug in so I don't have any latency, I use a pair of in-ear monitors, right? So like for me, the over-ear headphones are not something that really regularly slots into my life. Uh, I mean, sure, if we were flying all over the place, I'd probably like the AirPods Max a lot. And to be fair, I definitely ordered a pair as well, and I'm excited to try them out. Just for me, though, I'm not, I I won't say I'm thrilled about them. I won't say like, oh, I can't wait. I mean, they, I'm sure they're going to sound great, and I'm sure they're going to have all the wonderful features of AirPods and the syncing. And I mean, look, we know what to expect when they put AirPods on the box. But I also look at that and I think, that's just a lot of money. And it's just, it's hard for me to really place before actually spending time with them where they kind of slot in, right? Because they're significantly more expensive than stuff like the Bose QC35s, stuff like the Sony 1000X. Like, those headphones are already sort of the gold standard here. And there's some audiophile-grade stuff that gets into the five $600 range that has Bluetooth. But 
I also think about like, what are you really getting for that extra two, $300? And it might be amazing, right? But until I spend time with it, it's really hard for me to sort of conceptualize where these AirPods Max are going to line out. The price is something that a lot of people are focusing on and kind of like saying that the price has to equate to some level of performance. It's Apple. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Look, I get the argument, right? $550 is a lot for a pair of headphones, but this isn't how Apple works. Like they have never worked like this. You're paying for more than just the pound-for-pound performance of the product. Mm -hmm. It's also because it's an Apple product, right? Like that phrase, the Apple tax, you know, um, just because they make it, they charge you more. And like, you just make your own decisions. Now, I've bought a pair because I don't have any Bluetooth headphones. I've been waiting for Bluetooth headphones to get some for like two or three years. And I never got any because this always seemed like an obvious thing that was like, quote, just around the corner. So right. I've just been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And I've been using like a pair of wired B&O headphones for like maybe four or five years at this point. But I've been waiting for a couple of years to go to Bluetooth. Like when I got the AirPods, like my original AirPods, I then realized how great Bluetooth audio could be. Yeah. And so then was like, well, I want Bluetooth over ears, but clearly Apple's going to make some, so I'll just wait. Um, so this is a product that I've gone for. It's got all the stuff that I want out of it. Great. And and look, I'm also being real. Like, I'm probably not going to listen to a lot of music from these. Like, I mostly use headphones for podcasts and videos and stuff like that um Mm. and so like this is yeah for me this just seems like it's got all the features that i would want out of a set of bluetooth headphones because i'm so used to apple's set of features and as i said before like the whatever it is that apple does with the noise canceling it's the first noise canceling that i've ever used that hasn't made me feel nauseous every time i've ever tried it with other products it's always made me feel a little uneasy. Maybe I will get that feeling from AirPods Max because they'll be more like, it might be a more aggressive feeling than, than AirPods Pro are. But basically mm-hmm. my point is like, whilst I 100% appreciate these are very expensive, I am not surprised by it. And But maybe that's just because I've been, you know, I have my head in the Apple game constantly and have done for like a decade. So like, I'm used to this kind of thing. But it's not surprising to me that they charge as much as they did. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, you look at AirPods Pro at 250 I, I thought maybe a little cheaper. I saw 550 It definitely kind of raised an eyebrow. But you're yeah. right. I think for me, it's just tough to get excited because I just, like I said, like for 99% of my use, and I'm actually, you know, enjoying music or listening to podcasts or whatever, I'm doing it with uh, Bluetooth earbuds, right? Like I don't want something big and bulky. And like you were saying earlier, I actually don't, part of the reason I don't like using these over-ear headphones that have like this serious noise cancellation in normal day-to-day use, I think it's super unsafe, right? I don't want to be like, I'm going to get run over by a car at some point in my life anyway. And that's with my ears already working, right? Why are you so so convinced (laughs) of this, Austin? Dude, how often when I hear like some kind of like electric car or like hybrid or something backing up, I like always like, wait a minute, nope. Don't run, get run over. Don't get run over. I feel like at least every six months, I have a moment where I'm like, wait a minute. That's definitely something really silent is about to run me over. So 
if that's my life already, the last thing I need is active noise cancellation. When I walk around in normal day-to-day life, I never uh-huh. leave two headphones in, right? So if I'm listening to my beans or I'm listening to the AirPods, I only, if I'm out and about, I only leave one in for that exact reason because I'm always afraid that I'm going to get run over. I'm going to like not hear someone trying to talk to me, whatever. Like that's a real thing for me. So mm. even something as simple as like turning off the noise cancellation on a pair of like real cans like that, I'm not comfortable with that. I would use them on a plane or if I was chilling at home listening to music, but both of those are not really happening right now. So that's why for me, it's just hard to get that excited about these. This is very interesting. It's just this way that you so definitively said that you will get run over. Like that's the thing that really is stuck in my brain. Oh, it's going to happen. It's just a case of when. Okay, well then if, if you are so certain about this, I would recommend that you do not walk around outside with over-ear noise-canceling headphones. But yeah, I like, the, I, I like the design of them. I actually just think they look cool. The case, that's the thing that I'm a bit like, eh. yeah. Like, you know, I, again, like I'm, I'm not, because I've never owned like a really nice pair of headphones like this, I've never had the experience of like having a hard case. Like I was just putting them in my backpack, yeah. like whatever. But it's, just the design of the case and the functionality of the case just seems so strange to me. Yeah, it's, I mean, I get that they want to include a, a case. I mean, you know, that's pretty standard for these high-end headphones. And I get that I the design... I was genuinely surprised the case is included. I didn't realize that. I, when I first saw the announcement, I didn't. Th- I thought that was a separate add-on. But then me I too. saw like Marquez's video. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, at least it comes with it. But yeah, it just very much seems like it's sort of a form over function kind of thing, right? I mean... Mm-hmm. Every decent pair of headphones in this sort of range, they fold up, right? It, it might not be small, but at least it's smaller. But these things are like, I mean, it keeps the ear cups from being scuffed up. That's the only thing I can say about it. But, mm. I mean, it comes with it. Use it. Don't use it. I personally never put any of my sort of over-ear headphones in a case, even when I was dailing them. Like, just because I don't want to take them out and put them in. Mm-hmm. It's a whole thing. But, look, AirPods Max, I'm very excited to try. I do want to hear how they sound, right? I think no matter how much sort of Apple magic you've got, if you're spending $550 a pair of headphones, you expect them to not only cancel noise well, but also just sound good. And I'm, I'm sure they'll be decent at least. Yeah. I mean, actually, no, they better be more than decent for 550 bucks. We'll find out. I want to talk about something really cool that you've got Ooh. going on right now. So we've spoken about uh, St. Jude Children's Cancer Research Hospital on the show before, Relay FM. Uh, we raise money for them every year. And you're working with them in collaboration with Drop. And there's a little Austin Evans keycap for for purchase at the moment. This thing's so fun. Dude, so this uh, literally the whole time this was happening, I was just thinking like, I can't wait for Mike to see this because you're so much more into the keyboards and the caps than I am. I don't want to talk about that, right? (laughs) I'm just pleased that you're on a keycap. That's kind of all I care about. Yeah, so uh, this is all really thanks to St. Jude and Drop. I mean, I I didn't design it or anything, but basically they're putting together a thing where they're working with myself and a number of uh, mostly streamers to put together a series of, they call them the stream caps. And essentially the stream caps are all about sort of helping to, like you said, promote St. Jude and help to to donate to them. So you can buy the keycaps individually. You can also buy them as a set. And almost all of the money goes directly to St. Jude, I think, Drop keeps a little percentage of it just to cover like the shipping and the logistics. But generally speaking, this is just a way to make some cool keycaps. I, I will say if you go through, we'll have the link in the show notes. Some of the designs are really cool. When they finished my design, I was so happy with it because I was like, I was thinking of myself like, what would I put on a keycap? I don't know. I don't have like a logo there or anything like that. There isn't like an Austin Evans logo. 
Yeah, like not when, really. When I, I at first, like I didn't, I'd seen these. So, like, spoiler alert, I had seen these because I have friends inside of these organizations, <laughs> right? And I saw it. I was like, oh, that's a cool selection. I didn't know one of them was you, but then once <laughs> you see it, it's like, oh yeah, that's Austin, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's funny because it's like I would. I would have expected to see like everyone's logos, but you don't have mm-hmm. one. So exactly. And be fair, if you look through the other stream caps, there's a pretty wide variety of things, but they have an amazing artist on staff who did this. And yeah, I couldn't be happier with how it came out. So not only do I have uh, maybe a couple for myself, I'm going to be putting on some keyboards, but ultimately if anyone wants to help support St. Jude, I think this is a great way of getting on it because not yeah. only can you get yourself a cool little keycap or a whole series of keycaps, but importantly, the vast majority of the proceeds go directly to support St. Jude. And of course, everyone should know at this point that we're very, very big fans of everyone at St. Jude. We try to support mm-hmm. them in any way we can. Yep. So I have an Austin Evans keycap on the way. I bought, I bought that one and I bought the uh, the St. Jude Rocket logo, which is fun because we used so that. Good. Yeah, we used that was designed by a patient. Um, and we used a lot of the Rocket branding uh, during the podcast a thought this year. So this is really cool. I, I hope to see more of this kind of stuff from them um, in the future because it's like, as I say, it's a great way to donate and you also get something cool for it at the same time. So it's really nice. Absolutely. I ordered a PC case. Okay. Uh, it's coming in January. Ooh. So uh, kind of okay, okay. between now and early January, I'm going to be building out. i got to like start bringing everything together, all my parts. So I'm going to be bugging you about that as well. But okay, um, this was actually recommended by a selection of Test Drivers listeners. And then we were chatting too, and you mentioned it as well. It's the Lian Lee 011 Dynamic Mini MIDI Tower Case. I got it in white. Uh, it's on back oh, order. Yeah, I got the white one. You, you, they make a black one and a white one, and I wanted to get the white one. Um, it's on back order right now, but I have a pre-order in, and apparently the it, it should be shipping out in very early January, which is fine. Nice. I'm, I'm not in like a massive rush because I have to amass all of the other various parts that I would need, right? Yeah. Um, and everything, and I, but I just figured it's like like kind of all the graphics card stuff. Like as soon as I could get something, just get it. <laughs> Um, because this seems to be a pretty popular case, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's fairly new. So the O11 has dominated, I think, a lot of builds recently. I mean, it's just, you see it everywhere. There are different versions of it. I mean, it's a phenomenal case, right? Phenomenal case. My wife, actually, her system is built in an O11. Um, but now they have the O11 Mini. And the cool thing about the Mini is that it's a super, like, customizable case. So it brings a lot of what's nice about the O11, specifically the looks. So of course, you've got, like, the, the glass and whatnot. But one of the nice things about the O11 Mini is that while it's a lot smaller, you can completely configure it. So if you want to do full liquid cooling, if you want to put AIOs, you can choose different size motherboards and how many slots. And you can, like, if you watch the video on their site, it's really cool because you can customize it, I swear, like, 10 different ways based on exactly the configuration you're doing. Hmm. And the thing is, because the standard O11 is so popular, a lot of companies specifically when you get into like uh, like full liquid cooling but even stuff like AIOs they're starting to like specifically design things with the O11 in mind because it's so popular right oh wow it's really good yeah 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 so I'm really excited I haven't actually built in the mini I think it came out very very recently I know that everyone's really hyped up about it I haven't actually tried it yet but based on my experience with the O11 which is a phenomenal case everything about this thing looks so cool I can't wait to see how your build comes out of it, especially in the white yeah, I I thought that would just look really good because one one of the things that I am aiming for with this build over my 
first and only PC build is I am a little bit more focused on making it look nice. I want right. this to be aesthetically pleasing because this I, I'm like planning to put it on a desk, right? Like I want to see it. So that's going to be a little bit, maybe a little bit more of a challenge. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, if this ends up being built and rebuilt a couple of times, <laughs> right? This thing. But yeah, I'm super, I'm very, very excited to put this thing together again. Because uh, my, nice. my good old razor blade is starting to choke a little bit on my Twitch stream in. Oh, dude, you, you've been going hard on Twitch, though, right? You're not just doing, like, a little, hey, it's me, I'm on a webcam. Like, you've got multiple cameras going. Yep. Like, you, you've really taken the Twitch game up another level. Yeah, so I've been, I've been trying to, like, slowly make it better and better. And as I have been doing that, um, the, <laughs> it's fun because <laughs> I'm, like, you know, I'm doing my thing. I'm in Streamlabs, and Streamlabs has, like, some readouts for your CPU percentage, right? So you can tell you how much you're, like, burning your machine by doing what you're doing and as i'm like kind of setting stuff up i'm like 15 percent. as soon as i start streaming it's like 78 80 cpu usage <laughs> and and then then the frames start like if i open edge i might stop dropping frames on the stream because like the system Ooh. just can't can't handle it anymore so the blade has done great right like for over the last few months like it's helped me like dip my toe in this and like slowly start building out and like i've been really happy with it but I'm now at the point where not only that, but like I want a bigger monitor than 13 inches to do it because it's difficult, right? To try and do this stuff on such a small monitor. I want. Wait, wait, you're, you're still, you're not connecting to an external display. You're doing it all on the internal laptop panel? Yeah. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, I didn't man. know that. This has just <laughs> been like trying to keep it basic, right? And because I didn't want to invest in anything for the streaming setup until like I knew what I needed rather than mm -hmm. trying to guess what I wanted. Wow. I didn't realize... I knew that you were using the, the Blade. I didn't realize that you didn't have any kind of external monitor. That's crazy, mm -hmm. man. That's a lot... I mean, if you ever look at any like you know, quote unquote, real Twitch streamers, they've got like thirty monitors. They've got it's chat really, here and this, and bro, it's so difficult to try and keep up with everything <laughs> well, on just the one screen. So, like, I'm thinking, I, I again, like, I'm just gonna be bugging you over the next few weeks about all the parts. But like, I'm trying to work out whether I want to go with like a single monitor, like like a wide, like an ultra wide monitor, or if I want to go for some like maybe a couple of a couple of configurations i just haven't worked out what will best fit um in yeah. the space that i want to put it in yet uh but i i am genuinely really really looking forward to it i've started a like just like messing some stuff on pc part picker and like just trying to work out exactly what i want um so yeah i'm, I'm really nice. I, this is going to be one of my uh i'm hoping like january like by the end of january to have the pc built out and i'm really excited about it that's awesome, man. Well, so I guess next episode, we should probably do a whole segment talking about your parts, how you're building it, and yep. sort of hopefully you can actually make some progress and we can actually get a little status update on how your Twitch stream is suddenly far better than it ever was in the past. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. I mean, I've had these kinds of situations where you think you're making it better, but really you just make everything more complicated <laughs> and worse. Complicated is, uh, yeah, that is a word that's coming to mind right now, I will yeah. admit. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's been a as another piece of follow-up, actually. We were talking about, um, on our last episode, we were talking about uh, the adaptive triggers and on the DualSense controller on the PlayStation 5. And one of the games that we mentioned like we wanted to check out because it had been kind of rated quite well for its, like, its usage of the uh, adaptive triggers was Call of Duty. Is it Call of Duty Cold War? Is that the name of the it's, game? 
I think it's Call of Duty, Black Ops, Cold War. I knew I'm there was sure something I was missing in the middle. You've got to have all the names. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I've checked it out, and it yes. does exactly what I was hoping it would do. I'm really impressed. So yeah, yeah, pretty much as soon as we finished recording last episode, I had to go download it. And at first I was playing, I'm like, oh, it's pretty good. And then I actually started getting into some of the different guns. So if you're not familiar, essentially the way it works is it uses those adaptive triggers. Actually, well, no, you know, I'll take that back. It actually does more than the adaptive triggers because also a lot of like the rumble and the vibration, I think is also really well done. Like yep. when you're, there's a level where you're on a train and you can kind of feel like as you go over each bump with the controller, I thought that was really cool. But the main sort of selling point is that every gun feels different with the triggers, right? So as you know, you pull up a rifle, you know, the scope might feel a little heavier when you go to do mm -hmm. L2. And especially when you pull the trigger, like, you know, a little like pistol or SMG is much lighter of a pull compared to a bigger machine gun or a rifle or something. Honestly, I'm really impressed with how it feels. I yep. mean, ultimately, if you're a competitive gamer, that's probably not going to be helpful. You're going to you hate know. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But as someone who likes to play the Call of Duty campaign, I'm yeah. a big fan. It feels really cool. Yeah, I bet this stuff must be really annoying if you're in the competitive scene. But I guess if you're competitive, you're not playing on PlayStation anyway, right? Probably. I mean, I know that you can connect keyboard and mouse to like PS5 and, and Xbox. And actually, they might even have different lobbies. I know on PC... They always try to lane you off on you know different lobbies if you're a yeah. controller console a controller player versus a keyboard and mouse player. But yep. yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things that it's not about trying to be better at the game, right? I mean, there's a million controllers out there that are pro controllers and have like adjustable bump stops for your triggers, all that kind of stuff. This is much more so about the immersion. Yes. And I'm not good at Call of Duty anyway, so I'm gonna get no. my ass kicked online anyway. I don't care. I just want to be like, ooh, the gun feels cool. Oh, pow, yeah. pow, pow. Got him. Like, that's, you know. Yeah, and it, it's like exactly what I wanted. Like, when you're firing, like, you feel the um, the recoil in the trigger and stuff. Like, yeah, it's, it's really it's really good. It's really, really good. It's of the games that I have played uh, outside of Astrobot. Like, it, it feels like the best um, use of the controller's new features, which is uh, kind of encouraging to me. Um, because this is a game that obviously was not built like quote unquote for the PlayStation Five, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is support that they added into the game afterwards. You know, like for as you get what I'm saying, right? Like this, yeah, yeah, course, they didn't yeah. make the game with this functionality in mind because it didn't exist when they started. So it makes me hopeful for this kind of functionality in future games that have been developed knowing that this technology is available to them. So like from, it's from the no get-go. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm really excited about it. Obviously, the entire world's talking about Cyberpunk, though. Yes. Have you played yet? Mm, no. This is difficult for me, Austin. I'm not going to lie. Because I obviously don't have a PC that can handle it right now. So mm. I was like, oh, I'm going to play this game on PlayStation. Something that I have missed was that the PS5 patch is delayed yep. as well. Yep. I, I kind of missed that because the last that I'd kind of paid attention to was they were saying, we're delaying the game because we have to do quality control for all of the platforms and all the consoles, which just made me think that that meant they're delaying it because of the new consoles. But that clearly was never the case if they then just delayed the new console patch. And, you know, like everyone, I've just been seeing all these clips and streams and stuff online of, like, 
how bad it looks on the consoles and all of the mm-hmm. videos that I've played uh, that I've seen like your video Linus's video playing on PC it looks so frigging beautiful but on uh, every video I see of it running on console it just looks trash so like <laughs> I I don't know if, even though I have already pre-ordered the game on PlayStation I've kind of got this feeling of like uh, also some a lot of the stuff that I've read seems to suggest that like this the the action like the gameplay the story is like good yeah yeah absolutely no but like not great you know okay so, uh, so i will preface this by saying that as of recording i have only really played cyberpunk on camera for two different videos i haven't actually got to sit down on my system and really you know play through an extended chunk of the game there's a lot that i like sort of initial impressions wise i mean like the driving feels good like it to me the first person perspective is kind of a a different kind of feel compared to something like GTA which is kind of what i had sort of mentally benchmarked for this game in my mind but for the performance i think you're absolutely making the right call it i i know that i haven't tried it yet but i know that it does run better on PS5 and Xbox uh, okay. Series X even though you're running the older versions okay um cuz uh, yeah this is a this is a next gen game right um in fact we're shooting a whole this is episode all about this talking about how rough it is like we were playing through it actually on the Xbox One, like the One S, like the base model. And oh boy, I mean, it looks like, it looks like you know, if you've played the Switch, like some of these like really mm-hmm. extreme like AAA ports running on the Switch. You know how like sometimes like when you plug it into your TV, it looks like you're playing like 360p and all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, everything looks that, a little bit smoother. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like trying to play Cyberpunk on a base Xbox. I know that the PS4 is not much better. I mean, it's really clear that this is a game that was designed with next-gen consoles and specifically the PC in mind. Mm-hmm. And they basically just stripped out features and pulled settings all the way down until they got something vaguely usable on the base model consoles. But I mean, look, if anyone owns an Xbox One or a PS4, not the enhanced versions, the standard, and you bought Cyberpunk, I am sorry to say, I don't know if they're going to be able to make that game that much better. It is already running on such low settings. I know there's surely going to be mm-hmm. more optimization. It will improve somewhat. But looking at like how low the settings are, how bad the game looks and runs, it's hard for me to imagine that ever being a good experience on those consoles. It's it's rough because they got into so much trouble for delaying the game. It was such a meme and everyone was making fun of them. And it was like so hyped up for so many years. And I think that it's a good game on PC, but it falls very short on consoles. And until we get those Series X and PS5 patches, I, I don't know, man. I think it's a PC game. I think you gotta play on PC or just uh, just wait for it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's frustrating, right? It's like I, you know, and I kind of. It's just one of those things where I appreciate how difficult it clearly seemed to be for this company, but it was kind of just like if you delayed it so much, just like if it's if you if it's fixable or whatever, just keep delaying, like just keep delaying it. You know, it's like yeah, why did you delay it for so long and then release it and it's not. <laughs> It's not where you would want it to be. I don't know. But anyway, like I just haven't started on it yet. And I don't know if I'm going to um, actually dive into it on on PlayStation because I still have a backlog of PlayStation 5 games that I want to get through. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking maybe I will just push out my Cyberpunk experience a little bit longer until I can either get get my PC up and running um, or... 
I wait until they have the PlayStation 5 patch. Because I think I will enjoy the game. Like, it doesn't have to blow me away. Like, a lot of the the basics that I understand that are in the game, the basics that it's got, like, they seem to be things that I will dig. Unfortunately, it's just, though, like, a lot of people, I think, uh, have a lot of really, really high hopes for it, and it's it's making a lot of strange reactions. I'm seeing a lot of, like, weird reactions online as well. Yeah. People being, like violently upset at people saying it's not great it's like it's not it's not good man wait are you trying to tell me right now that the internet is upset about a new video game i cannot (laughs) Cannot believe it it has never happened all right this episode of the test drivers is brought to you by our friends over at MailRoute. bad actors threaten your business with spam and viruses and they're getting more and more sophisticated in 2020 because email traffic has tripled because companies have increased the number of employees that they have working from home on residential networks and as admins look to mitigate associated risks to their businesses your biggest vulnerability is probably your email and this is where MailRoute can help when it comes to handling business email there are a number of things that are super important security speed uptime and having a streamlined workflow a mail route takes care of all of this mail routes team was the first to build an email filtering service back in 1997 and they've been focused exclusively on email security for 23 years MailRoute is the only service to provide one-click sync with both Office 365 and G Suite for simple and safe migration. Their API-level integration ports your data from 365 directly into MailRoute, so there's no need to duplicate your workload to activate this protection. MailRoute also meets federal compliance standards, included, including NIST 800-171 for Department of Defense contractors. Admins enjoy real-time log searches and real-time reporting in their custom dashboard. And your dashboard also includes granular controls to stop spam and phishing attempts, plus viruses, ransomware, and malware. So try MailRoute today and get 10% off the lifetime of your account by going to mailroute.net slash test drivers. You can even get a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. So just visit mailroute.net slash test drivers to start protecting your business Today, MailRoute, making email better. A thanks to MailRoute for their support of this show and Relay FM. I want to talk to you about Pokemon cards. Oh, yes. I've been waiting for this day. You, my friend, are up to something. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were about to say I have a problem, which would be a completely legitimate thing to say. Okay, look, all right. Everyone loves Pokemon, right? Come yes. on. Does anyone hate Pokemon? Like, surely not. No. And as someone who grew up in the 90s, Pokemon and Pokemon cards were huge, right? I mean, yeah. I remember every time my dad would go to the store, I'd ask him to, you know, buy me a pack of cards, like mm-hmm. three bucks. Most of the time he would. I always liked it. I had a whole binder full of cards. I remember I had like a little sleeve with all like my, my junk cards. I was like, oh, whatever. Yep. I would just trade them to my friends. Like, huge part of my life, right? Over time, I have missed it, right? Like, I've, I've, like, from time to time, over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, every once in a while, like, literally, like, every little few years or whatever, I would, like, be walking through the store and see a pack of Pokemon cards, just grab it. Like, you know what? I'll open a card. Oh, look at that. It's kind of cool, right? Mm -hmm. But this year, like, I went from, like, dabbling to diving headfirst into a 
weird world. I am deep in Pokemon cards right now. Like, because I've noticed this seems to be a thing again, right? Oh yes. What's going on there? So there's a few things going on. So first of all, Pokemon cards have always had value, right? I think that's one of the big things. They've always had some level of value, but mm -hmm. it's sort of been sort of slowly increasing over time, right? So uh, for reference, I bought a Charizard uh, back in like 2014. The first time I'd ever actually spent like real money on a card. I spent $100 on a base set to Charizard. And for me, it was more of a thing of like, I had never owned a Charizard. I had a ton of cards growing up, but I had never pulled a Charizard. So it was one of those things of like, that's the holy grail, the original card. Like that's sort of what I always had wanted. So I bought that in 2014 for a hundred bucks. And that was like a graded thing? No, no, it okay. was just the card. It was just right. the card. Obviously it was in good condition everything. I bought it from a card shop, but just one day I was like, you know what? I want a Charizard. And I went out and I tracked one down, right? This is the type of thing that you get to do when you're an adult. Yes, you yes, get to buy exactly. Pokemon cards for yourself, and no one can tell you that you can't do it. <laughs> well, there's one person in my life who can tell me no. Thankfully, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> they, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> fair point. So that was that was then, right? But this year, things have exploded due to a few different things, right? So first of all, trading cards across the board, right? So baseball cards, sports cards have always been kind of like the gold standard of this kind of stuff, right? I mean, baseball cards. There have been many baseball cards that have sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, like, very, very expensive. I think of comic books as well as a similar kind of, if you have OG comics, yeah. Absolutely. And the way I think, like, I think there's a few things that happened this year because, yeah, first of all, the card market generally, white hot, tons of values, tons of records being broken and whatnot. I think another thing is a lot of people our age who grew up with Pokemon are now adults with disposable income who can waste money on nice Pokemon cards instead of just buying a $3 pack at the store. Mm -hmm. So there's all that. But I ultimately, I think, chalk a lot of this up to Logan Paul. Yeah. He, he kicked this off in a big way, right? He's the one who got me on this game because, look, he does this video, this amazing video, by the way. You should absolutely, if you haven't seen it, you should absolutely check it out, where he basically goes on the search for a Charizard. It's pretty much like his downward spiral into Pokemania, where he's just buying card after card after card, trying to get some of these, you know, the Holy Grails, right? The fully PSA graded Charizard first edition. He's done it. Logic has also gone big. He spent over $200,000 on a PSA 10 Charizard first edition. Oh my God. And with all of this around me in my life, I'm like, you know what? It's time. So the, the Logan Paul video is that I spent $150,000 on this Pokemon card. Yep. That's the video. So he's actually right. got a couple videos okay. now. Um, there's another one that was really good um, that he had done with uh, this guy who, uh, it was a long story, like he had like tried to bring his Charizard collection in to, it was like, I think like Pawn Stars or whatever. It was one of these like TV shows. Yep. He tried to sell the whole thing for like, I don't know, like 200 grand. Or it was it was something like it wasn't that much because now that collection's worth like millions. But um, yeah, but he basically did this great video. Like I will say I have never been a fan of Logan Paul, um, but these Pokemon videos, I mean, I'm, all on it i'm like watching like leonhart <laughs> opening up like a hundred packs every video like i've i've gone deep in the rabbit hole and i've also started buying a lot of cards not only buying packs and elbowing little kids in targets try to steal the pokemon cards out of the cart not really but you know the, some things have happened in uh in trying to get my hands on things i uh, will just leave it at that um but also i've been <laughs> i've been buying Nice cards, right? I've been buying older cards. I've been buying them. Not only there are sort of places sort of in like local that I've been doing it, but if you go through my eBay purchase history, there's a card on here pretty much every day. 
every day. There's a card here, two cards here. I am snatching this up. You're buying like cards every day. Okay, so I'm gonna go through just my real eBay quick history. as well. There's like a piece of terminology that I want to clear up. You said yeah. like it's like PSA graded or something. Yes, yes. What does that mean? So there are two different ways to look at Pokemon cards, and indeed, uh, this uh, applies also to sports cards, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic, whatever. Um, so they're graded and ungraded. Ungraded card is exactly what you see. It's it's a card. Um, usually, it's like in some kind of like protector sleeve or whatever, but. It's just a card, and it could be worth whatever, but it's just a base card. Um, where the real values are at are in graded cards, because not only do you know that they're authentic, which generally, as of right now, there's not a lot of like counterfeit cards going around in the Pokemon space that I'm aware of. Um, but regardless, the the PSA company, and there are others like Beckett that will grade your cards. Essentially, you send it in, you pay a fee, and they will examine the card. They will give it a grading, usually from 1 to 10, and then they will put it in a protective case so that it will be safe and secure. You can look up that card and see, you know, if it was graded. You can see how many cards that have been, like, you know, that exact model. Like, oh, there's 30 PSA 10s in the world and 50 PSA 9s or whatever the case is. So those are the cards that are kind of the, the more sought-after ones. If something is PSA graded, it significantly increases the value. Right, because then it's being judged and put exactly. into a category, and then that category denotes the value of the card because yep. it's, there's, a, there's a rarity to it. Exactly. You can go on eBay and look at random cards, and people can say it's in great condition, but I mean, there's only so much you can tell by looking at photos. Even there's only so much you can tell by looking at it in person. Whereas right. when you have someone professionally authenticated and really take a look at things like the centering, the edges, the surface, the, the, the bleed, like all these kind of things, it makes a big difference thing, to things, right? Right, because even if it was brand new, it wouldn't necessarily hit the top oh, level absolutely. of the grading because it's the quality of the actual print on the card as well, right? Mm -hmm. Most brand new cards do not qualify as PSA, PSA 10 right out of the box or right out of the, the, the pack, right? A lot of cards are, you know, they're not centered quite right or they're like print lines on like the hollow foil or the edges aren't cut quite right or there's a little bit of whitening. There's a lot of things that can affect it. So it's a, it's uncommon to get a card that's a PSA 10 straight up. And it's certainly uncommon to find a card which is 20 20 plus years old that is in perfect condition and been graded, right? So generally speaking, those older cards, the Wizards of the Coast sort of like original sets, those are the more valuable ones. And once they've been PSA graded, that brings it to a whole other level. And what is your best card? You know, it's funny. I've been not going for the big stuff. Uh -huh. I've been snatching up the PSA 9s and 10s of a lot of cards that are of some of the early sets, but are not the super popular ones. So okay. I have a lot of cards that are not massively valuable. Um, one of my nicer ones, I have a first edition Dark Dragonite, a PSA 10. Um, that one's worth probably, uh, I don't know, like four or 500 bucks. Um, <laughs> the, the most expensive card though is my Charizard. Um, it has not been PSA graded. So that's the one that I bought back in 2014. Um, values for that look to be, I don't know exactly the grade, so it's kind of hard to say, but once it comes back from PSA and I get it graded, I like to think that that could be worth close to a thousand dollars. Um, so have you sent it off for grading? I haven't. So the thing is when you send, uh, uh things out to go with PSA to be graded, there's a massive backlog because everyone and their mom is sending in all their old Pokemon cards right now because the values have like quadrupled this year so everyone's hoping that that box that they have under their bed is sitting on like 50 grand or whatever yes yeah, yeah. and i mean there are cards i mean again those early charizards it. and there are also a lot of cards from those early sets that might not be worth a hundred thousand 
It could be with thousands. Mm -hmm. I mean, for an old Pokemon card, that's a big deal. So, yes, I have gone. I'm like kind of taking a two prong approach where I'm snagging cards that I plan on PSA grading and I'm just opening packs because uh, it's fun and I, you know, wanted to open a million packs up. I have on a table beside my desk right now. I'll send you a photo. I have like, oh God, actually, here, you know, what? Let, me, let me show you this. Let me show you this. We put this in the show notes. Let yeah. me show you what the, this is. I would say a week and a half of buying cards. This is what, what this is what this looks like. The thing that I'm really trying to not think about here is the fact that like all of my cards were from the original sets because Ooh. I'm a little bit older than you, and so like I started Pokemon trading card collecting when Pokemon trading card came out, and when we moved like five or six years ago, oh, I just no. donated them. <gasps> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't like... now look I'm gonna say right whatever I had I know it wasn't in good condition because I played okay, with them okay. you know like okay, I did yeah, yeah, yeah. you know I actually played the game Um, so I know I don't have I, I, what I will tell you though Austin is I, I know I had a Charizard even a terrible condition Charizard is worth decent money today it's like $5 right that's the amount of money and yep, also, it was, you know this, yeah, I see you've got the golden polywall thing. Oh, yeah. I had a Togepi, one of those. Oh, that's awesome. Because that was from the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, it was from Burger King. Yeah, it was to do with the movie. It was Burger King's promotion for Pokemon, the original movie. It's like the toy tie-in that you could get with like the Burger King meal or whatever. It's crazy, man. I, I have a sad, similar story as well. I had all my cards, and mm -hmm. then when I had my fire... Back, oh, no, that's so much worse. Well, it's the same thing. We don't have our old cards anymore, so it's an excuse for us to buy new ones. See, that's the way I look at it. Uh, are you yeah. playing the game at all, or are you just collecting? Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm collecting. Cool. I'm and again, collecting. like, look, we're going to talk about what I'm doing in a little bit. Uh, there is no, no shame here, right? We're in a safe <laughs> space. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so no tell kidding, me right? what yeah. your ebay history is looking like then all right i'm gonna go through so we are recording this on december 11th okay mm -hmm. so i have a pidgeot psa 7 i purchased on the 9th a psa 10 first edition gold duck on the 8th a couple of first edition neo destiny cards on the 7th a black star psa 10 dragonite gx on the 6th uh, Light oh Lady on the fifth, uh, Dark <laughs> Haunter PSA ten on the fifth. Yeah, I look. I live uh, a good chunk of my spare time now searching through eBay and bidding on cards. It's a lot of fun, man. The thing is, I'm not doing this because I like Pokemon. I'm doing this as an investment opportunity. Some people buy Bitcoin. Some people buy Snake Oil. I buy Pokemon cards. Yeah, Mike. yeah. That's yeah. my plan right now. It's right. I'm going to retire on my. Dark Dragonite when it's worth lots of money. I just do it because I like it. I'm, it's fun. I'm going to uh, <laughs> remind you to listen to an episode of a podcast that I do called Ungenius, where we did an episode about Beanie Babies. Oh, I heard that one. Uh, but that's that doesn't apply to me. <laughs> no, that applies no. to everyone else. Everyone knows Beanie wrong. Babies wasn't going to work out. Pokemon cards, <laughs> they're going to keep their value forever. <laughs> Don't bust my bubble mike dude like i am i am in like for as much as a friend should encouraging you to live your best life with this 
uh, <laughs> and have just a great time. Because again, this is, as an adult, you can choose to spend your money on stupid things. And this yep. is what you're choosing to spend your money on. And I think that that's great. I, what I'm intrigued about is the boxes. Oh, yeah. What's going on with these boxes? Okay. So most of what we've been talking about are the older cards, right? So the PSA yeah. graded cards and stuff. I've been you know, buying like individual cards. The other aspect of this are all the new sets because some of the new sets are really cool. They have all kinds of like interesting designs with not only a lot of the older school Pokemon, but they have these things like rainbow rares and full art cards and stuff. Like you look at some of these cards, they look really just cool. So another aspect is Pokemon cards because they're so white hot right now are sold out everywhere, right? I walk into, I literally over the last like couple months, anytime I'm near a Walmart or a Target or anywhere that sells cards, I pretty much always poke my head in, ta- take a look around. Most of the time, there are no cards left or they're just like the decks that are like not particularly worth anything. Right. Because even though they don't have, I'm assuming they don't have cards that are particularly worth like the kind of money we're talking about with these original sets. It's just yeah. increased the interest in the collecting again. Yeah, I mean, there are some, some of these new sets do have cards that are worth in the mid, like, you know, four or $500 range. Um, so there, wow. there are a few, like, very rare cards, but you're right. The thing is, everyone wants these things right now. Everyone's buying them. I think also the holidays play a part where it's a, I'm sure it's a very popular gift. But um, yeah, I've basically been just trying to fat track down anything and everything I can. In fact, I know I was, I was texting you just this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like 30 minutes away from the F1 race starting, and my wife notices that they're down the street. Are a couple of boxes of uh, X, X and Y evolution packs, or the the actual the booster boxes. We literally fly down there. Of course, they weren't there because the online system was wrong. But I mean, look, I am going to try to track down all of these things. I actually plan on, once I'm done with my setup, streaming some Pokemon card unboxings. Yes. So I feel better about my life and how many cards I've purchased. And it also just helps you on... explain to the accountant what you're doing. Exactly. Too. Exactly. It's look, I don't want to sit on all off. these boxes. <laughs> I'm not going to sit on these boxes for no reason. I'm going to open them all. I'm not going to just hold on to these things. They're huge, right? Part yeah. of the reason I like collecting Pokemon cards, I can stack up, you know, a giant pile of money worth of Pokemon cards in a little box. It's not like I have to have an entire room dedicated to, like, giant card boxes. I'm pleased that you are going to open these boxes. Oh, yeah. And there's something that must be very satisfying in being an adult of buying the thing you wanted as a kid, which was an entire box. Mm-hmm. You know, like, have you had an inclination to, like, you know, I don't know if this, these are available where, like, you could go to a store and buy a box full of booster packs? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, so if you look at that that photo, so those are Elite Trainer boxes. Each yeah. one of those boxes has eight booster packs in it. Oh, so that's just like a tray of booster packs. Essentially, it has, like, some sleeves and some energy cards and a couple other things. But, yeah, that's Heck essentially yeah. – those are full of booster packs. You can also buy the booster boxes, which is, like, the actual, like, boxes you would get at the store. Yeah, that, that's you know, what I mean. all the packs in it. Because that, yeah, that's, those, like, a dream as a kid, right? That you could just gone, buy the man. whole box. Oh, I can imagine. It's, I can imagine at the moment, as soon as any, like, booster packs are put out, the entire box just gets picked up by some 25-year-old. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Dude, it happened. It happened. I was at Target a few weeks ago and I walk around the Pokemon aisle and it's like completely cleaned out. I'm like, oh man, okay, whatever. I go walk out toward the exit. I see a guy pushing a cart. I'm not even kidding. With probably 300 packs in his uh, cart. He literally took the entire aisle and put oh, it in the cart. I was like literally like stalking him. I was like, okay, no, there's no way they're going to let him check out with this. And they gave him some issues with checking out with it. But then he just did like 20 transactions. I was so mad. I was so mad. Oh man. 
You didn't just like sneak up, just grab something out of his car. <laughs> I should have used thief on him. Use <laughs> 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 <You> payday. Use <laughs> runaway. <laughs> oh man. Is there a community to this? Like, is it a thing that you're involved in in any way? Like, you know, there, there are discords for everything, for example. Yeah. Um, no, actually, no, surprisingly not. I've mostly just been doing this solo. I mean, I watch a lot of videos. Like, I watch a lot of like Leonhardt, who's kind of like the OG Pokemon card dude. If you haven't checked him out, by the way, I would encourage, encourage you not to because it's going to make you go way deeper into it. And if you're not ready to make that commitment, because he does like four videos a week where he's un unboxing these things like nonstop and he gets like crazy stuff, right? Like, he'll do a video and he'll pull one of those like first edition Charizards. Like, this guy goes, hard how how does how does he manage that he he has this whole story um i think he used to be like a lawyer or something and he quit because his pokemon cards were just blowing up so much he makes videos on these things he buys and sells cards he buys and sells these booster boxes that you know the old school booster boxes can be worth you know tens of thousands of dollars you know where they have like you know 36 packs of you know team rocket or or fossil packs or whatever the case is it gets it gets crazy man so yeah, that's been the main community. I know there are definitely huge communities out there, but for me, it's like, I just want to get my cards. I want to look at them. I want to feel good about my life. And I want to tell myself that they're going to be worth so much more later. But in reality, I just want them because they're cool. And I'm an adult now and no one can stop me besides my wife who hasn't stopped me yet. So I'm doing great. It seems like she's encouraging you. Oh, she's buying packs for me. The there other you day, go. She found like a bunch of packs, these older school, like these like three-year-old packs online. It's like, hey, are these good? I'm like, yes, buy those right now. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I couldn't be happier. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. While you've been listening to this show, how would you know if there was an issue with your website? What if your customers couldn't click that buy now button or access your latest blog post? You could stumble across this by luck, but that's not good. You want a system. You want something that will tell you when everything's running great on your website, and more importantly, when it isn't. That is why you need Pingdom. Pingdom will be able to tell you when everything's running great because they are looking at this stuff for you, they're monitoring it for you, and they do a great job of letting you know there's an issue. Pingdom detect around 13 million outages online every single month. They also help keep the sites that you love online, and they can keep yours online as well. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company, you need alerts about critical website issues. They'll let you customize how you're alerted, depending on the severity of the outage. This way, it means that the right person who can fix the problem can be the person that gets to know about the problem, which is really, really great. So if you have a big team with lots of different uh, responsibilities, you can customize your Pingdom alerts that way. So it's really nice. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. They have a no-fuss approach to help get you started. All they need is the URL that you want to monitor, and they'll take care of everything else. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code TESTDRIVERS at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. So, Mike, after we've been talking about my Pokemon card addiction, yeah, man. I think you have been going equally as hard, yeah. if not harder, Big time. on the keyboard life. Yeah, so we spoke about this a number of weeks ago, um, maybe as I think it was months ago now, where we, I think, were both starting to like look at mechanical keyboards as like a thing which seemed interesting. And I think this was back in August. And at that point, 
we were both like, oh, this seems cool, right? And we were like, oh, yeah, like, look at these products you can get. And I was like loving my Keychron K6 and all that kind of stuff. Then I started understanding the world of custom. <laughs> That's where it gets extra, right? Where it's like you have maybe a better phrase to use is actually like premium or luxury. Right. Because you can customize these keyboards that we were talking about back then. But then you can go that whole extra level, right? Where you're looking at artisan makers, right? And people that are making like not just artisan keycaps, but like artisan keyboards effectively, right? Like small group people, they're selling a few hundred boards, but they're like made of excellent materials and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and similarly, there's like a rabid uh, resale market for this stuff. Um, there's people flipping these things. Uh, oh. It's like, oh man, like there's a Reddit called uh, Mech Market, and there are people that that successfully flip keyboards for like two to three times their value. Ooh. So we're talking in some cases, Austin, like boards selling for over two thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah, it's and like and these are boards that cost maybe six or seven hundred dollars. So you know, it's a whole thing. And so my collection has been slowly growing of everything. So we're talking keyboards and cables, keycaps, switches, all kinds of things. I've started building boards, which is what I've been doing on stream. Um, and I've been just having a really, really great time kind of digging into this hobby, seeing like who are all the cool designers, what are they making, trying to find like decent deals on stuff that I'm interested in. Um, and also like putting, putting my money in for like pre-orders for products that will come in nine to 12 months or whatever. Right. Oh, and ouch. like that, that's the normal, like if you want a keycap set, if you're going to go in on a group buy for a keycap set and like a group buy is just like a large scale pre-order, if it's coming from from one of the, the the major manufacturers at the moment, you're looking at about a nine to twelve month lead time from when you pay your money to when it arrives. So I'm curious. So as you're developing your your collection and mm. you're spending all your time with you know different keyboards, which I know you've purchased and and bought, are there specific keyboards or keycaps or maybe even sort of like specific key switches? that you've been sort of attracted to? Or is yeah. it more so that you like having a, a wide selection of like, oh, this is my morning keyboard. This is my <laughs> afternoon keyboard. I have definitely been using, I'm using the stuff that I'm making. And like people say to me like, hey, what are you doing with these keyboards? This is similar to like, you know, my other vice, I guess, is fountain pens, right? Mm -hmm. All anybody ever really needs is one pen. <laughs> but I have like an untold amount of fountain pens at this point. And I just every day rotate between the pens that I use. You know, like I'll use a couple of different fountain pens a day. And that way I get to use my whole collection over a period of time. And, and that's what I'm doing with, with the keyboard stuff. It's like I have a few boards that I really like. A couple of them were more like um, they were practice boards or whatever, you know, like things right. that I bought specifically to practice on before. Because I, I, I have this... Like I have like a, a one keyboard that um, by the time this episode's come out, I would have built it on stream. But it was a board that was sent to me uh, during our St. Jude fundraiser and I donated money on this person's behalf because they gifted me a board, oh. which I was really like really excited about and the value of it is pretty high. 
Um, nice. And I didn't want to build that board until I had a bit more like practice under my belt because this stuff is mm -hmm. a little bit like there aren't really instructions as such for a lot of these things. <laughs> you kind of just like once you've built a few, there are just these steps that are always the same and they'll typically, the manufacturers will mostly, or the designers mostly give you the instructions for the things in their boards that are abnormal if such a thing exists. Right, it's, it's like, it's kind of weird. Like really for me and for most people, the way that you learn how to build keyboards is by watching people build them on streams. Mm, so like I learn like the process that it takes to like the standard process of putting one of these things together every time I've I mean I've built a few keyboards now and every uh, every kit I always have like a selection of screws that I cannot find what they're for like they'll be like because <laughs> they come unbuilt a lot of them right and there'll be like one little bag of screws or something it's like these go nowhere <laughs> I don't understand what you know it's like me and building furniture exactly it's it's a little bit you know uh, because it's 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 there, see the thing is there are big companies starting to move into this space now, but because it's a lot of like one person two person shops you know putting these things together, things can be a little bit like unprofessional in that way. But that mm -hmm. means that they're also really expressive as well because people have like very bold designs that they're bringing to the table. Um, but to answer the question, you used like asking me if I have preferences and I'm starting to build some preferences. So um, for sw for key switches, like for the switches in the keyboard, I'm, I'm definitely a tactile person. Okay. Um, I've tried out a bunch of linears and tactile switches um, and I still feel like I could find a linear switch that I like, but tactile is what I'm going for. Now, tactile make more noise than linear switches, but they're not clicky switches. Clicky switches is a whole other thing. Um, but for me, like I don't really feel like I need what a clicky switch would give me. Like I, tactile make a satisfying sound without being too loud, but for me, it's the feel. And the main thing about a tactile switch over a linear switch is when you press um, the, the, the key down on your keyboard, something inside of the, the switch, which is what is in between like the, the circuit board and the keycap, it kind of like at one point will basically uh, catch on another part in the switch. So you're feeling something which feels mechanical, physical, right? There are these two parts of the mechanics of the switch that it will basically like, it creates like a little bump. Mm -hmm. So it's, I'm trying, it's difficult to, for me to explain because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm still trying to get my head around a lot of it myself, but it's basically like a linear switch just moves up and down smoothly when you're pressing it. Um, but a tactile switch on the way down, it kind of catches on the switch itself, which gives the feeling of a press and depress, which I, I, I like that feeling a lot. Um, when it comes to the keyboards themselves, I really found myself gravitating a lot towards what are called TKL boards, which is 10 keyless. Yep, yep. So this is basically, you know, if you if you think of like what does a standard PC keyboard look like, you've got like the alpha and number keys, then you have the arrow keys and that little cluster above it. And then on the right-hand side of that, you have a number pad and function keys across the whole top, right? Mm -hmm. TKL boards, just take the numbers, the number pad away. So you have just the letters, your numbers, the function keys, the kind of six key cluster and your arrow keys. I have two of those boards now and they tend to be the ones that I enjoy using the most. Um, I haven't had a ton of experience with good 65% boards and this is where it's 
you get all of the letters, all of the numbers, all of the, most of the modifiers and arrow keys, and there are no function mm -hmm. keys. Right. Um, and and you know, sixty-five percent boards do seem to be typically the the most popular. And mm -hmm. so the the board that I will have built this weekend, um, that's a, a high quality sixty five percent board. So I'm excited to try that out because I've I've only kind of the only sixty five percent board that I've built is like a starter kit, and I put linear switches in it, and I don't like using the keyboard because of that. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I'm putting some nice tactile switches into the sixty five percent board, and I want to see what that's like, but. I, I also just really of the boards that I see a lot online, I, I really like the the visual expressiveness of the larger keyboards because mm -hmm. for me that's where I get to see a lot of what the designers are doing because they have a larger canvas basically to create an interesting design. TKLs is where I've been kind of like focusing a lot of my uh, love towards so far, but there are a bunch of 65% boards that I do really like the look of, so um, I could imagine kind of flipping between the two of those. Um, I've tried out some 60% boards, which are also really popular, um, mm. and a 60% board, it has no arrow keys, so like if you're looking at a regular keyboard, it's just everything uh. that's in the middle, right? So you've got yeah. your modifiers, your, your letters, and, and they're all these keyboards will all have function keys on them which will allow you to press function and then use a selection of keys to be your arrow keys like you could use mm -hmm. wasd or whatever um i i but i use arrow keys way too much way way Same. way too much 60 yep. percent boards are just they're just not for me and it's a shame because i see some of them sometimes it's like oh my god that thing is beautiful um yeah but they're just that that style of keyboard I just wouldn't be able to use it. And if I, this is, the, it's the same for me. I'm applying kind of like a similar thing with keyboards that I have always done with my pen collecting. Uh, is if I'm not using it, if I, if I don't think I would use it, I, I won't buy it. Yeah, that makes sense. You're not investing in uh, keyboards. Actually, although maybe you should be though. Uh, you can. <laughs> These things retain value big time. And like that is something which I, you know, so I'm taking care of the boards that I know are the most expensive. Because mm -hmm. if I get bored of it and want to replace it, uh, these things retain serious value. Like I, I bought a keyboard called the Rama U80, which is the keyboard that I use every day, and it's my favorite. Um, and I bought it secondhand. It was taken care of, but not in perfect condition. Definitely not new, but not in perfect condition. And I paid an amount of money which was much higher than the amount of money this keyboard is worth. Whoa. Like when it was new? Yeah. I paid more I paid more for it than what it cost when it was new. Um and this is like a normal thing. Like if you want to buy a keyboard that you're not if it, if it's either A not for sale or B you're not willing to wait for a long time, you will be paying over the, the price of what it cost, even if it's been used. Man, twenty twenty feels like the year of resale. Consoles. PC parts. This is what COVID has done. Like, seriously. Like, people are finding new ways to spend their time and money. And it's popping out in these weird and wonderful things. Like, the two things we're talking about here, Pokemon cards and custom mechanical keyboards, they are two areas that have seen explosive growth this year. Yeah. Because yeah. people have 
different levels of disposable income in some cases than they have before because they're not spending money on the things they would usually have spent money on. And people also are like just spending more time online. And so they're finding themselves into these new communities. It's great though, man. I mean, I'm so happy that you found keyboards as your one true love mm-hmm. or your second or your your third or one of your true loves. I'm just, I'm so curious. So part of this, I know, has been found on the idea that, you know, you've been really passionate about the keyboards, but you've also been turning it into work, at least somewhat on the Twitch side. Yeah. I'm curious, as I think both of us fall into this trap a lot of like, we have hobbies, we have things we enjoy, and we turn them into work, right? And I know that I'm teetering on the edge of that. Like, I talk about streaming this stuff on Twitch. I know, though, that as soon as I do that, it becomes like a thing. How have you found that balance between doing what you're passionate about and what you love and building and playing with these keyboards versus turning it into work, you know, streaming on Twitch and there's an expectation from the audience there? How are you finding that? Like, is it still a hobby or is it turning into a real job like all the other hobbies that you've already turned into podcasts and whatnot? Well, so one thing for me was um, I committed to myself that I would not make a keyboard podcast. Okay, okay, that's a good start. Because that's the work element for me. Mm-hmm. The Twitch streaming thing doesn't feel like my job. Okay. Because it's because for me, this is the difference between me and you, right? Because you do video for a living. Video ah. is never a part of my work. So doing the Twitch streaming stuff is like, this is just like a, a, a different way of experiencing this thing. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like it's kind of nice for me because I would be spending all this time anyway doing this stuff. So it's kind of cool to be able to do it and have people to talk to. And because I'm new, like there are people that tune in to the streams who know what they're doing. And like I have questions <laughs> and people can help me <laughs> with them. Um, so I, I can, like, I have been in this place way too many times. Like I've used the phrase making these things jobbies, right? They're like hobby mm-hmm. jobs. But for me, the, the keyboard streaming has been pretty fine in that regard because it it doesn't feel like the other work that i do um and it's also forcing me to learn more about this hobby than i would have otherwise uh which i'm i'm liking it's like it's like giving me an accountability to dive deeper into it and learn terminology um and one of the reasons i consider to be a good thing is this has been like mechanical keyboards have been like a really good distraction for me over the last few months. Um, mm-hmm. at a time when like many of us, like I've needed, I've needed something, you of know, course, and, yeah. like, and again, that's why I think we're, we're talking about these things today is like people were looking for distractions, new things, something to like break up some of the monotony of what the last nine months have been. Um, and so having a thing where, where I'm streaming it, I'm like, I'm able to enjoy it more with a with a group of people that are already like love this stuff, and in like the Relay FM members Discord, we have a keyboard channel now. Like, there's all people in there, and I get to share with people like, oh, this is what we're all interested in, and that's really cool because nobody in my life like really cares about this in that way. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I've actually found that to be kind of fun and refreshing. Where like typically all of my hobbies, somebody else that I know already is like really into them 
Mm -hmm. but this is one where it's like i'm the guy who's into it the most (laughs) and then and it's just kind of funny to to be in that position and like to to be digging around and trying to learn something new like i have to go and do this research myself and it's really cool i've I've been really enjoying that i will say i am very interested to see how your keyboard empire evolves but it's cool man i i I appreciate it i appreciate the the artisan work i appreciate Mm. the fact that you're not like in a lot of ways like when i build a pc it's just i'm putting the parts together right something about when you're building these keyboards to me it's like another level up where it really is like you're crafting something right you're yeah, soldering you're each individual thing decisions yeah you're making the decisions like the the way that you build it the order that you build it the parts that you put in in some instances like the parts you decide to leave out right cuz like some of these boards they come with like foam to change the sound but you can choose to just not use it if you want it to sound right. different. So like I, I've been enjoying that aspect of it too, that there's like way more heavy like customization in this hobby than than some of the other stuff that I do. So it's really great. I, I love it. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by SyncUp, a OneDrive podcast. If you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, SyncUp takes you behind the scenes of OneDrive so you can learn about how to connect files, share your documents, and work from anywhere. And you're going to get to hear about the design and development side of things too. You know, we're talking in this episode about learning new stuff. This is exactly the type of thing that we're talking about. Like these podcasts are full of great information and they can really help you learn something new about some tools that you may think you're pretty familiar with. Maybe you work some, use some of these tools at work already and this can help you kind of like really take them to the next level. Every episode covers a dedicated topic with guest interviews, news and announcements and a special topic outside of the technology norm. Something a little bit fun, a little bit different. I want to tell you about some of the stuff that's been uh, going on in some recent episodes. They've been talking about how Mac users can use these tools and be empowered to get their work done. We have customer success, file sharing, personal vaults, and so much more. One, also, another episode that I listened to recently is super great because it goes into a, there's like it was like a group panel discussion talking about how uh, businesses are obviously trying to adapt to remote work. Like podcasts like this right now, especially if you're working in a team of any size they can be super useful. Like any tips, any best practices that can be learned from other teams that are distributed are so needed right now because we're all just trying to work this distributed work stuff out on our own. So this is another great podcast to add to your queue to help you out with a little more information gathering. Go and listen right now. Just search for Sync Up wherever you get your podcasts. That's S-Y-N-C-U-P or just click the link in the show notes and go check it out today. Our thanks to Sync Up and Microsoft for their support of this show and Relay FM. So to round out this episode, it's going to be our, by the way, it's going to be our final episode of the year. So we're going to take a break uh, during what would have literally been Christmas week. Our episode, <laughs> we would have been recording probably on Christmas Day if we would have kept yep. our uh, uh, typical <laughs> schedule going. So we're both going to be taking uh, a week off over Christmas. So we're going to be back now in January. So we thought it would be cool to talk about uh, what 2020 has been in technology for us. Um, because of, we've been doing this show for pretty much the entire year at this point um, and mm-hmm. maybe talk about some of the products that have been surprising or the most fun or the things that we've been the most excited about this year. Do you want to start off talking about what I assume everyone's expecting you to talk about? Why, yes, I would. I mean, look, this podcast from day one 
has been nothing more than a shrine to the glory of the Z Flip. Hashtag Z Flip Gang. Look, come on, man. Is this still daily? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you have been dailying it for nearly a year now. Like, it's coming up on a year. Yep. I mean, I've switched over to the 5G, like we talked about Mm -hmm. a a couple months ago. But, yeah, I mean, it's the same phone. Um, I will say, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the... Well, okay, there's another phone in my life, and we'll talk about maybe as one of my other picks of tech of the year. But the Z Flip has been a constant in my pocket literally nonstop all year. So there's a lot that I love about the Z Flip. There's a lot that we both love about it. But for me it really does sort of push the foldable phone to something different. And I've dabbled in other devices, right? I mean, I was using the iPhone 11 Pro before this, and I pretty much completely gave that up, short of like shooting video and using it for iMessage during the Z Flip's first few months. The Pixel 5 tempted me away for a couple weeks, but I came back. The iPhone 12 mini, that definitely tempted me, and I thought I was going to switch over to it. And while I do use the 12 mini, I keep coming back to the Z Flip. It's just something about that form factor. It's something about the way that it feels. Something about the way that it's something different. It just gets me in a way that I can't, I can't tear myself away from. And Mike, you know what? We're coming up on a year of the Z Flip. That's got to mean Z Flip 2 is coming soon, right? You would particularly hope so. I would definitely hope so. Yeah. I want a Z Flip every month. Let's go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that might be, <laughs> might be a little much. Can you imagine that you get like a Z Flip Pokemon edition? That would be, <laughs> oh, be no. it for you, man. Oh no! <laughs> I think for me, this is uh, this has been a great year for technology, like without mm-hmm. a doubt, like a, just a super good year for technology. There's been so many great products, but I think for me, the thing that I have been the most excited about, the most surprised about the most blown away by and the most kind of like also a technology product that's filled me with the most like excitement for the next few years is the M1 MacBook Pro or M1 yes. MacBook Air, whichever one you have, um, or even the M1 Mac Mini. But the, the first Apple Silicon MacBook Pro that I have here, uh, it is an absolute workhorse of a machine. I really, really love everything about it. Um, it's super powerful and the way just the level of power that this machine has was not what i was expecting it's it blew me and everyone else away yeah to the point where like you know it's reminiscent in some ways of the original iphone that like there were a lot of people that just straight up didn't believe that it could do what apple was saying it could do like that there was mm-hmm. just no way that it, that the M1 chip could be that powerful, right? Like compared to other machines. And looking at this com- and also coupled with some of the rumors of what Apple are building over the next few years, like 32 core CPUs, like their own massive graphics cards. Like I am very excited for the next couple of years of Max, and this one is just the beginning of it. That's been like a really great story this year, I think. I'm absolutely with you, man. M1 has been, I had high expectations, and these have shattered it. And especially, like you said, with these rumors, if they're really able to push things as far as they, it sounds like they will be able to, I cannot wait for what next year's lineup looks like. Yeah, bananas. I will say, as much as I do love the M1 and what Apple has done, I do think there's a little bit of a caveat there and that Apple is a company with essentially unlimited resources, right? They're able to build 
everything they want from the ground up. I think a company who does not have those resources is AMD. This has been an incredible year for AMD, right? Yeah. Earlier in the year, they launched Ryzen 4000 Mobile. The first time ever in decades that they actually took the crown on laptops away from Intel, right? Not just in performance, but in battery life, in graphics, CPU. I mean, it was a huge step forward. But then they followed that up with things like Ryzen 5000 series on these desktop CPUs, which just wiped the floor with anything Intel has on the high end, right? I mean, these Zen 3 cores are incredible. And then they've got the RDNA 2.0 graphics, right? Which that's what's inside the RX 6800 and 6900. That's what's inside the new consoles, which are 100% powered by AMD. So you've got the Xbox Series X and the PS5. I mean, for a company that four or five years ago was teetering on the edge of bankruptcy, that was worth next to nothing when it comes to their stock price, that everyone had counted out as like just sort of a a has-been, a company who was just kind of on the edge. The fact that they are now, a few short years later, in a position of almost complete and total market dominance is something that, how can you not be happy with that? How can you not be happy with competition? How can you not be happy for the underdog coming back in a way, which should never have happened. They should never have been able to do what they've done, but somehow they've pulled it off. 2020 is a bad year for Intel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's, uh, yep. Uh, that's I mean, an accurate statement. Yeah, I don't know if it's... I'm not saying like when I say this, I'm I'm not saying they're bad, but like they have been the loser of 2020 because yeah. they're kind of being embarrassed on all fronts, right? Like AMD and Apple are really making Intel look bad. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what the next few years will hold for Team Blue, but it's not looking great. It's not looking great. I mean, competition is good. Intel's a huge yep. company, and yep. I feel very confident that they will bounce back. But all that matters to us as consumers is what is best. Yes. And what's best for technology is robust competition and people blindsiding each other with crazy new upgrades and stuff. Because at the end of the day, they might not win. The companies might go back and forth, but we win. Yeah, it's like if you look at this year, the graphics cards and that kind of stuff this year, that, that's all come from that. Like, Absolutely. Which is exactly what we wanted to see. Uh, talking about gaming, I will say one of the things that has surprised me the most, you know, I was excited like everybody else for the new generation of consoles. Uh, the DualSense controller is my favorite thing about the about the new generation. Like I will, yep. I'll give a shout out to Microsoft, just their, their whole marketing strategy um, for the console launches this year was was really, really great. And, and I've been pleased to see that they've created a a product option that extends next-gen gaming to more people, right? The, the mm-hmm. Series S. Like, I think that that's a really great thing to see um, and is putting uh, a next-gen game console in more uh, living rooms than ever before, right? Like, I'm, I'm pr- pretty confident in that. I mean, and that there's what they've given about their sales numbers seem to indicate that that's the case. Um, yeah. But the, you know, if looking at my, my, you know, kind of feeling of like, what is the best, like, hardware thing when it comes to these new consoles, and it's 100% the DualSense controller. Like, I knew that it had the features that it had, and I was kind of like, oh, I'll see what that's like. It sounds interesting. But in using it, it, it really, it's, it's a big leap. It's a big, big leap. You know, and I genuinely expect that uh, during this generation of consoles, Microsoft will bring out their own controller, which will have something like this 
Um, Ooh, interesting. It just feels like this is the thing you want to do now. And I could imagine like whatever is like series X2 or whatever, you know, like the mid-range refresh. Mm -hmm. It would be, I think it would be good for Microsoft to to do that because to have a new controller, it feels like something they could do. It's something they have done, right? With the elite controllers and stuff like that, you know, like these different Mm -hmm. controllers with different features. And adding this stuff to a controller is nowhere near as hard as creating some kind of like big new features for uh, the console itself, you know? So, yeah, no, I agree. I think Sony made a really smart move in differentiating themselves this generation, right? Because I mean, they're Sony and Microsoft are working with the exact same toolbox from AMD, right? They could do the same things. They obviously went about the console design a slightly different way. And some of the features are different, but I mean, Ultimately, neither of them are going to be wildly better or worse than the other. They're all in kind of the same ballpark. And where Microsoft seemed like they spent their time on the Series S and developing a, a more entry-level way of getting into next-gen gaming, Microsoft have also had to deal with the blowback. Or not necessarily blowback, but they've had to deal with the competition of that DualSense, which is really incredible, right? Yep. I think it's just it, it immerses me in the game more so than a little bit of ray tracing would or a little bit more of a, a higher-res texture would, right? I mean you think about next-gen gaming, usually you think about crazy graphics. But I mean, yes, these new consoles are a step forward. I don't think they're a completely mind-blowing step forward. I think it's just a nice, solid improvement. They're quicker, they're more responsive. It's too soon. It's just too soon. Like, did you see the the what they put into Spider-Man? Oh, yeah, the 60 hertz uh, 60 frames mode. with ray tracing. Yep, yep. Which makes sense. I mean, that that they should have had that from the beginning. But like, it's, I think it's, it's proven the point of like, it's it's just it's still too soon to judge the graphical performance of these machines. Of course, of um, course. So this is where like having a feature, a hardware feature that sets you apart, has I I think for me has given Sony the edge if you were judging these two things against each other. Yeah, no, I I will totally agree with you. As of where we sit right now, I am definitely playing more PlayStation than I am Xbox entirely because I like to experience that controller. And also, there are a lot of PlayStation games that I'm very excited for that are exclusive. Mm-hmm. Now, I have one last thing I want to throw in. Okay. I've talked about the Z Flip. I love the Z Flip. But I do want to give someone props for making something very special that is near and dear to my heart. And that is the iPhone 12 mini. I love, I love the fact that I essentially have now a flagship iPhone in everything besides a little bit of a camera comparison, I guess some battery, in such a tiny, small form factor. It really is the iPhone for me. I love it almost as much as the Z Flip, but not quite. I feel like you haven't heard about the best iPhone that's ever been made, which is the iPhone 12 Pro Max. The big chungus? I feel like you must have missed this because what? I'm here to tell you that the 12 Pro Max is the best iPhone ever made, Austin Evans. I well, I'm sorry like I don't have cyberpunk mega, mega hands. <laughs> my, my hands are normal size. I have to use a normal size phone. <laughs> I love my iPhone, man. I really do. Uh, the screen is so good, and it's so good for video. I do. I watch a lot of video on my iPhone, and mm-hmm. one of the things that I've really enjoyed the pairing of with the uh, Pro Max and iOS 14 is iPhone picture-in-picture. Yeah. Because in portrait mode... 
the amount of screen real estate. I mean, it's probably coming up close to your tiny phone, uh, <laughs> right? But like, it's, it wrong. looks it looks really really good, um, and just the screen in general is fantastic. I I you know I love the gold. I think the gold is so good looking, um, and I find this iPhone like really comfortable to use without a case, which is not a way that I felt about any oh. iPhone for a long time. Um, okay. I've been caseless for the whole time. Uh, I have a pop socket on the back, which is just something that I've always done for the last few years. It does help, right? Because look, the phone is too big to use one-handed unaided, right? Like that's mm-hmm. just the way, honestly, uh, all these phones are. Like I actually had the experience of like playing around real quickly with an iPhone 12 mini uh, earlier this week. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen one. And I mean, you, it's still, you still can't reach the corner <laughs> with one hand right like this is just what they are now right like even though the phones might be small like their screens are large um and so like having the pop socket on the back even if i don't pop it out it just gives me something more easily to to grip on but the phone itself i just find with the flat sides and stuff to be Mm -hmm. more comfortable and easier to, to to handle and yeah i i really i really love this phone Okay, I love the my favorite thing about it is the physical design, um, which wasn't necessarily what I was expecting. Like, I was assuming there would be some feature, maybe like some of the camera features or stuff that I would be most into. And the camera is great, but the camera doesn't like it hasn't blown me away at the level that I was thinking it could. You know, like the improvements year over year. Yeah, um, the improvements yeah. are there, and I am happy for them. Right. Um, but some of the improvements are software based, you know, like putting a night mode on the front facing camera. It's just like, a, it's like a great thing to have. Um, but the, it's just the physical design appearance, uh, and feel of the pro max that, that I'm, I'm really, really digging. I'm with you. I just, it's too big. I get it. Like, <laughs> I, I like it. Trust me. I get it. Like, I, I really do feel like I'm in a minority here of people who are like, this is just right for me um but i know that that is my own weird tastes so at this point we if you were celebrating we wish you all a happy holiday uh and uh happy new year like i guess <laughs> we're moving into like we're gonna leave this one behind right it's surely yeah. can only get better from here I think uh, 2021, it's all looking up. All looking up. Hopefully. Thank you so much uh, for listening to the test drivers in 2020 as well. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so happy that we got the podcast off the ground and we've had such incredible support from everyone. And uh, next year, time to go uh, test drivers 2.0. I just decided. Oh, boy. We should talk about what that means. (laughs) All new, brand new, shiny coat of paint. Wow. 300% improved. I don't know what that means, but it sounds exciting. 